John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. 1 John 3, 19 through 24. This is a sermon that I've entitled, The Bible's Answer to Doubt. If you are able, please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word. 1 John 3, verses 19 through 24. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of the Son, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Pray with me. Your word says, Father, that the grass will wither and the flowers will fall, but your word will stand forever. We know that this word is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. We know that prophecy never had its origin in man, but men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Indeed, the law of the Lord is perfect. And Father, as we see your scripture in this way, ready us to receive it. Do a work in us, we pray. If there's one here who has never known Jesus, draw that one to yourself today, we pray. And if there is someone here, Father, who is struggling even with the assurance of their salvation, I pray, Father, that your word would take control of their hearts and their minds today and that they would see and know that they can have assurance in Jesus Christ. All of this we ask in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Please be seated. As we read the Bible, there is no doubt that the Bible makes clear to us that we have an enemy. We have someone who is completely opposed to the things of God and opposed to Christians, and that the Bible calls the devil, Satan himself. I want to begin by showing you a verse. This is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, if we can get it on the screen. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he speaks to us about our enemy. He says it this way, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You remember that chapter, the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, that breastplate of righteousness? The shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the belt of truth, the feet ready with the gospel, the preparation of peace. Paul says, put this armor on because you have an enemy. Don't be ignorant of your enemy. Put on the armor of God. And he speaks to us about our enemy. And the Bible calls the devil a schemer. Jesus says he's, the, he's a liar. And he's the father of lives. And Jesus wants us to know 
that as Christians we're involved in spiritual warfare. That Satan is trying to defeat every believer, therefore put on the armor of God. That's what Paul says. Peter says Satan's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He's their enemy and he's going to do whatever he can to defeat us. But there's one tool that Satan uses against Christians that I want to point out today. It's a tool that he'll use to defeat you in your heart and in your mind. And that's the tool of doubt. Satan wants you to doubt. He wants you to doubt God. He wants you to doubt God's Word. Put another verse up on the screen. It comes from Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember that first encounter with Eve and Satan in the garden? This is what the Bible says. Now the certain was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, listen, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did you catch that phrase? Did God actually say, what is Satan trying to do there in Eve's mind and her heart? He's trying to get her to doubt. He wants Eve to doubt God and to doubt what God has said to her. Beloved, today I want you to know that Satan is still in that business of trying to get people to doubt God. Today, he wants you to doubt God. Today, he wants you to doubt God's Word. I mention all of this this morning because the context of these stories deal with the context of 1 John chapter 3. Because in the present context, right here in this passage... Some of the recipients of John's letter were experiencing a different kind of doubt. They were doubting their salvation. They were doubting the assurance of their salvation. And as a pastor, the apostle John, their pastor, he wanted to write to them about what was going on in their hearts and their minds Because he knew that this lack of assurance about salvation, it was affecting their lives. In fact, we're going to find out it was affecting their prayer lives. Because if you have no assurance of salvation, you have no assurance that God's going to hear your prayers. And I want you to know that I realize that this is an issue. This was an issue for many people in the church. This issue of assurance of salvation, it was an issue for me particularly when I was a teenager, doubting whether I really belonged to God or not. But I want you to know today that John addresses this issue and he hits it head on. He teaches us, not only the believers there in the first century, but he teaches all of us this simple fact. And this is something I want you to hold on to, not only today, but for the rest of your life. And it's this, that our faith which is based on Scripture, needs to continually be fed by Scripture. Our faith, which is based on Scripture, needs to continually be fed by 
Scripture. With that in mind, I want you to see three points about the Bible's answer to doubt from this text. And all of them start with C. They'll be easy to remember. The first one is the condemning heart. Secondly, confidence before God. And thirdly, our comforter. So the condemning heart, confidence before God, and our comforter. But jump back with me to verse 19 and 20. I want to reread this as we first look at what the Bible calls the condemning heart. Look at verses 19 through 20 again. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. You know, we could say that there's two extremes of people in this world. There's one extreme of people that have no conscience at all. They don't have any regard for God because they don't believe in a God. They simply eat, drink, and are merry. They do what they want, when they want. They have no conscience at all, and they're kind of way over here on this side. The other group of people, we could say, are those with an overactive conscience. Many times this person might be a Christian, someone who has professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're so overwhelmed in their lives. They're so overwhelmed maybe because of past sins or present sins or something in their lives that they are so sensitive about everything that they could that, that in their hearts they say, I can never have any type of assurance. I can never know anything. I can particularly never know if I'm saved or not. Beloved, it's this latter group over here that this text is talking about today. That for some reason, whether it was a natural disposition and maybe it was just an introspective personality, maybe it was a sin issue, but something is leading them to doubt. And I will say specifically, the devil is using things in their lives to put doubt in their minds that they belong to Jesus. These people will often say something this, hey, they'll say, hey, I know the gospel. I can tell you that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, that that he took the penalty, he took the blame, and I trusted him as my savior, but I don't know that I did a good enough job of that. Or I don't really know that Jesus can forgive my sin. My sin might be too big or too great. I can never know that I know that I know that I'm saved. Beloved, if that's you, or maybe some part of that is you today, I have an encouraging word for you. That your faith, which is based on Scripture, it needs to be fed by Scripture. Because verse 20, I want you to see this and hear it for what it says. Look at verse 20. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts. Hold on to that right there. Whenever your heart condemns you, you can know that you can know that God is greater 
than your heart. You know what this verse is teaching? It's teaching us that there is a court of higher opinion than our heart. There is a court of greater opinion than our own feelings. Let's just talk about it this way. In life, let's talk about two things in life. In life, there's what you feel and there's what you know. There's what you feel and there's what you know. Okay, Let's talk about this for just a second. Are feelings bad? You know, some people say all Presbyterian pastors are going to tell you feelings are bad. Guess what? Feelings aren't bad. God created you to have feelings. We read the Psalms. You go from highs to lows and everything in between. God created us to have feelings. But this is the way I'll say it. Dr. Bob Kara, RTS, taught me this. He said it this way. Feelings aren't bad, but bad feelings are bad. Misinformed feelings, unguided feelings, unbiblical feelings, those are bad. Feelings aren't bad, but bad feelings are bad. And on one side, beloved, we encounter and we struggle many times with uninformed, misguided, flat out unbiblical feelings. But on the other side, there's what we know. And that's the Word of God. We spend a lot of time talking about the truth of God's Word, and we should. And we know it's true, it's infallible, it's inerrant. The only rule for faith. And practice. It is absolute truth. We know it's completely trustworthy. So there's what we feel and there's what we know. But the problem is this. Is that that enemy we talked about, Satan. What he will try to do in our lives is take unbiblical, uninformed, and misguided feelings... And he'll want those to rule and dictate in our lives instead of the Word of God. He will want you to take uninformed, unbiblical feelings and to put that over and above the Word of God where your feelings speak down to the Word of God. And that creates doubt. That creates fear. That creates uncertainty. That creates a lack of assurance for every one of our salvations. When we know that this shouldn't happen... But God's word should come above our feelings. And God's word should have supremacy and speak down to our feelings. And we need to be informed by truth, absolute truth, which is scripture, speaking down to what we feel, what we think, what we believe. But I'm telling you, beloved, Satan wants you to doubt. He wants you to be uncertain. He wants you to question everything that you know to be true, and he'll do that by pushing unbiblical, ungrounded feelings in your life. Well, I have a question for you. Which is more trustworthy, the way you feel or what God says? We all know the answer, don't we? We all know it's what God says. We know that. But sometimes we let unbiblical, unguided feelings come above what God says instead of the other way around. So what do we need to do? We simply need to trust what God says 
and we need to let our feelings catch up. When you have misguided, uninformed feelings, and God's word says something completely different, you need to trust what God says, and you need to let your feelings catch up. Now, how do you do that? Because that doesn't just happen in a day or in a moment. How do you do that? That's the question we want to answer. How do we let God's word dictate our feelings? Today, I want to show you two examples from Scripture of how to do this when it comes to assurance of salvation. Are you ready? We need to learn from Scripture how to do this. Why? Because our faith, which is based on Scripture, needs to be fed by Scripture. Here's the first one. If you're struggling with assurance of salvation, let's ask this question. Can you know that you're saved? You might feel like you can't know. That might be what's going on in your heart and your mind. I can, I can, I can never know. If that's your feelings, let your faith be informed right now. Here we go. 1 John 5, 13. John says, and I know I'm jumping ahead. I'm going to get to this verse later. So I might say some of this again in a couple, couple weeks. But John writes, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Here's the question. Can you know? The Bible says yes. Underline that word know in your Bible. John doesn't, John doesn't say, I write these things to you that you, can, that you might be saved. He doesn't say, I write these things to you that you can hope one day when you stand before God that you might get into heaven. He says, no, you can know right now that if you believe in the name of the Son of God, you can know that you have eternal life. Well, here's the second question. How can you know that you're saved? Look at this text, also from the hand of John. This was our call to worship this morning. This is the second time you've seen this text. Look at it. Read it with me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. This is Jesus speaking. And they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let me tell you a story. You know, I have three kids. So this story was six years ago. Jack was about one. Macy was about four. Brock was about six. And we lived over in Lincoln County. And it was the fall of that year, and we decided to go to Lincolnton, down to the Apple Festival. Anyone ever been to Lincolnton or the Apple Festival? Anybody? Okay. So we piled up in the van and drove the kids to Lincolnton for the Apple Festival. Now, we had to park a ways away from uh, the Apple Festival uh, to, to even find a parking place. So we, we parked, and we got the kids out. And we walked up to the sidewalk, and Highway 27 was right there. And there were cars just flying by. They were zooming fast, back and forth. But we, so we thought to ourselves, well, you know, we need to keep these kids safe. So we did with Jack what you think we'd do. We put him in the stroller, stroller right? Uh, Five-point harness. He's good to go. He's, he's rocking it. Deirdre has him in the stroller, walking down the sidewalk. The problem was the other two. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. And being children, I have no idea what they're going to do. 
They might not see the traffic out in the road. They might dart in front of it. So I did what every single one of you would do. I put one child in this hand, and I put one child in this hand, and we began to walk down the sidewalk together. Now, what kind of grip did I have on my kids? I had a pretty good grip on them. I wasn't hurting their hands, but I had a good grip on them. You know what I'm saying? And I thought to myself, if they dart into the road, I need to be aware enough that my grip becomes a little bit tighter so that they don't dart off into the road. And I will tell you that there was a better chance that day that my arm would fall off my shoulder then my hands would let go of their hands, right? Why? Because I'm their father. I love them more than anything in this world. And I would never, ever let go of my child's hand. And neither would you. We love our children. And I would protect them at all costs. I have a question for you. If I, who am a weak, limited man, have that kind of grip on my kids, how much greater, how much stronger, how much more secure is the grip of our Heavenly Father upon His children? Did you... Did you hear the words of that text right there? This is what Jesus says. He says to us, you are my sheep. You will never perish. You are in my hand. And he says, you are also in my Father's hand. You have the double grip of the Son and the Father. And Jesus says, I will never, ever, ever let you go. Beloved, if you are here today and you're on this side, you have a condemning heart. You say, I can never know that I'm saved. And how can I know that I'm saved? Hear the words of Scripture. Let your faith, which is based on these Scriptures, be fed by Scripture. Hear the words of Jesus Christ. He will never let you go. You see, your security doesn't really rest on you holding on to Him. It rests on Him holding on to you. And beloved, if you're here today and you've trusted Christ for salvation and you feel condemned, be informed by the scripture that says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're here today and you've trusted Jesus and you say to yourself, what if God stops loving me? Be informed by the scripture that says nothing can ever separate you from the love of Christ. If you feel like your sin can't be forgiven, hear the words that says, we have redemption, forgiveness of sins. We're washed whiter than snow. And if you're here today and you feel like God is going to let you go, be informed by these scriptures that say you are in his divine grip and he will never, ever let his child go. Our faith, which is based on Scripture, needs to be fed by Scripture. Don't let Satan 
use unbiblical, uninformed feelings and doubts to make you question God. Because this text today says, whenever your heart, whenever your emotions, whenever your feelings condemn you, God is greater than your heart. And He knows all things, the Bible says. And His Word is more trustworthy than the way we feel. Aren't you glad about that? Because I tell you what, if my salvation was based on the way I felt, I wouldn't be saved a lot of days. How about you? Thank goodness God's got his divine grip wrapped around me, and he does you too, if you know him as your Savior. I know that was a long point right there. But I think that's important for all of us to know as we walk through the Christian life. Because assurance in the heart of a Christian If you have it or you don't have it, that affects the rest of your Christian life, according to this text. In fact, we move to our second point, the confidence before God. Because if you have no assurance, if you have no confidence before God, you're not going to pray. You're not going to pray with any type of confidence before God. So let's look at that because in verses 21 and 22, because God gives us that confidence. Look back at 21 and 22. Here's what he says. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, if we have seen the truth of Scripture that speaks to a condemned heart, we have what? Confidence. There it is. We have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. Think about it. If you do not have any assurance of salvation, what would be your heart attitude toward prayer? I mean, if you're already saying, I doubt I'm saved, then you would also say, I doubt God would hear my prayer. (laughs) Or, I doubt he even hears me at all in any way. I have no access to God, you would say. So what's the result? You have absolutely no confidence to pray. But this text says, when your heart does not condemn you, when you get that straight, you can have confidence before God that these false feelings of a condemning heart are put aside and they're replaced with confidence to come before Him. In this text, the word confidence has a word picture behind it. It's been defined as the valued right of a citizen to speak his mind freely. It's been defined as unhampered fear and shame. John MacArthur defines it this way. He says, It describes the privilege of coming before someone of importance, power, and authority, and feeling free to express whatever is on one's mind. For the believer, it describes coming into the presence of a loving father without fear or assurance, or without without fear and with full assurance. I was also reading James Montgomery Boyce on this, and he, he did a little opposition of two, of two things I want you to see. He says, in some people's mind, even the minds of Christians who are doubting their salvation, they have in their mind that they're an accused person coming before a judge when they pray. Instead of a child coming before his father to pray. Think about that. When you pray, do you ever feel like the accused becoming coming before a judge. Sometimes we do that, don't we? 
if that's you, I want you to know you have uninformed feelings about what the Bible says about your prayer life. And I pray for you that you would not let those feelings dictate what you know about God. And I pray that you would let the gospel speak into your life. If you feel like the accused coming before a judge, let me remind you of something that you already know. Jesus was the accused for you. That no longer are you the accused because Jesus was put on the cross and he was accused for you. And he did all of that so that you would no longer be under the slavery of sin. See, we are no longer slaves, but we're sons, Paul says in Galatians. We've been adopted by God. You remember that chapter 3, verse 1, that says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the what? The children of God. You see, when you come to God in prayer, you're not the accused coming before a judge. You're a child coming before your father. And if you're a parent today, let me ask you a question. When your child comes to you, do you see him or her as an accused coming before a judge? I know you don't. Because you have a love for that child like nobody else. You see that person as a child coming to his father. And you stand ready to love to nourish, to cherish, to listen. Yes, discipline from time to time, but that's an act of love. That's how we should see ourselves coming before the Lord. And God wants to hear our prayers. And and this text says He'll answer them. Sometimes that answer is yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait. But you have a Father who will listen, who will answer your prayers. And we know that our prayers must be tempered. Verse 22 says, with making sure we want to do that which is pleasing in His sight. We need to pray, Thy will be done. And live in accordance to being pleasing in the sight of God. So you see that your assurance of salvation has a direct connection to your prayer life. Our final point today. That third C talks about the Holy Spirit, who we're calling the Comforter. Look at verse 24. The Bible says, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. You know, a moment ago we read from... um, John chapter 10. And we talked about being in the hand of Christ, right? And that Christ is in the hand of his Father. And there was this double grip that God would never let us go. Well, there's also a third person of the Trinity. And the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit also seals us unto salvation. I have one more verse to put up on the screen. This is Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 13 and 14. It says, In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. There's two words in this text I want to talk about 
as we talk about the Holy Spirit, our comforter. It's the word sealed and the word guarantee. Sealed and guarantee because there's vivid pictures going on behind those two words for the assurance of salvation. Right here, the Bible calls the Holy Spirit a seal. You know, in ancient times, a seal, it was the official mark of identification that was placed on a letter or a contract. So if a king was sending a letter or a contract, they'd usually take wax and heat it up and put it on the letter, and they'd take the king's signet ring and press it into that wax, and it would seal it. It would show that it was from the king. It had the idea of authentic ownership and security from the king. And beloved, that's the whole idea behind the Holy Spirit. As God says, he has sealed us with his Holy Spirit. It's as if the king, our God, has pressed down into our lives and put his authentic ownership on your life. And not only has he given you his ownership, he has secured you saying, this person belongs to the king. That's the idea behind that. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is that seal in our lives, that we are his. We know the Bible says we've been bought with a price. We are not our own. And the Holy Spirit identifies with us that way. But secondly, that text said, guarantee. He is our guarantee. I'll tell you another story. About 15 years ago, when I was much, much younger, <laughs> had a lot of hair back then, didn't I, Michael? Michael, you're here. Andy, you remember some of those days? Had a lot of hair back then. Deirdre and I bought our first house. And when we bought it, it was one of those for sale by owner things. So we did not use a realtor. And we were young and we were inexperienced. We just we had no idea what we were doing and we didn't have a realtor. Okay, so <laughs> it's all so understand this in that context. Okay. So I'm getting ready to fall off the stage. Um, we decided on the house we wanted and we decided to make an offer. So we went to the owners of the house and said, hey, we want to make an offer on your house. And then he said, that's great. Give me a thousand bucks. Yeah, that's what I did. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> I said, what? He says, if, if you want to make an offer on this house, you've got to write me a check for a thousand bucks. I said, seriously? I said, I just want to talk to you about you know, the possibility of my purchasing this house. And he goes, no, you, I've got to know if you're serious or not. You've got to give me a thousand bucks. And what was he asking me for? I know, I know this now. He was asking me for earnest money, right? What does earnest money say? Earnest money says, I'm being serious. Okay, I'm just not piddling around. I'm being serious. And I'm going to give you this as, a, as an earnest, as a deposit, as a guarantee, because if the inspections check out, yeah, I'm going to buy your house. That I'm not just messing around. That you can know that this was the first deposit and that other payments are going to be coming after that. That was a whole education for me 15 years ago. 
But as I thought about that illustration, that what happened there, that's the whole idea behind guarantee in this text. It's saying that to us that the Holy Spirit is like that earnest money, like that deposit. That it is God's initial, initially saying, hey, you're mine, but guess what? There's more to come. Just like there'd be more payments to that house, there's more that God has for you in this life. In fact, he's going to take you all the way to glory. So I want you to know that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, He is your seal. He is the King putting His signet ring into your life saying, you're mine. You're secure in me. And guess what? I'm going to give you this guarantee of the Holy Spirit that's your mind. And there's going to be more to come because I'm going to see you all the way to the end. I'm never going to leave you. I'm never, ever going to forsake you. And as this text here in 1 John talks about the Holy Spirit, we now see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in the assurance of our salvation. Beloved, as we close today, please know that your faith, which is based on Scripture, needs to constantly be fed by Scripture. And when it comes to assurance of salvation, remember, there's what you feel and there's what you know. My question for you is this. Which one has a higher court of opinion in your life? Because these two things are not equal. God's word needs to always come above our hearts because when our hearts condemn you, God is greater than your heart. That's what this text says. Remember, the Bible says you can know you're saved you can know that you are in his divine grip. And my prayer is that that story about my children, I pray that would remind you of the faithful Lord that keeps us in his divine grasp because he loves and protects his children so much. But secondly, how's your prayer life? Because assurance of salvation affects your prayer life. Are you approaching God like an accused before the judge? If so, let Scripture speak into your life, knowing that you approach Him as a child to a father. He wants to hear from you. Then finally, do you have the seal? Do you have the guarantee of the Holy Spirit in your life? The King's signet ring pushed into your life saying, hey, I'm His. I know the Holy Spirit's in me. That's God's seal. It's also His guarantee that He's not finished with you yet. My prayer for you today is that if you walked in here doubting your salvation, that you can walk out knowing him. And I pray that your faith, which is based on Scripture, would be fed by Scripture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are weak and you are strong. You are the one who has the divine grip in our hearts and our lives. And we are so thankful for that because we'll run out in the street. We'll try to get away here and there, but you're never going to let us go. And God, we are so thankful for that. And as we come now to your table, I pray your blessings would accompany us as we feed spiritually upon thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.